0: Politics, some culture and craft beer, politics, and that is why you're here, politics, Pottoms Up.
1: Welcome to Pottoms Up. Fred and will discuss the politics of today, the culture of our lives, and the beer of our state.
0: Pottoms Up. This is the isolation man, Fred, coming at you with episode 64 of Pottoms Up. I do have a question uh, before we get going for Blotto and Nobbs. You guys ready? Yeah. Yep. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? (laughs) been waiting all day for that.
2: Uh, Do we have to answer?
0: (laughs) Nah. All right. I didn't expect an answer, really. Anyways, how are you guys doing? Surviving isolation?
2: All days seem the same, yes. As well as I was yesterday or the day before.
1: How about you, Nobs? Uh, Yeah, pretty much the same. I, I still don't know what day it is. I just wake up, I do my thing, and that's it. That's it, and that's all. Well, you know, like I told you guys,
0: Fridays now I have off so I was having trouble before keeping track of days now when you throw a day off during the week in from work it, it really screws me up I I don't know if it's Saturday, Sunday <laughs> but I know it's Friday Hey Blato I understand we have a special guest with us this week uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce him
2: uh, Sure, and, and we do um, we have with us uh, Michael Radke, he is the city councilman for the city of Sterling Heights. In uh, full disclosure, I am also a resident of Sterling Heights. And a voter. Uh, I'm sorry, what?
3: And a voter. Can you hear me?
2: Uh, and a voter. And a voter. And again, in full disclosure, I don't always say who I voted for, but in the last election, I did vote for Mike. Smart man. Um, <laughs> uh, so, um, Mike, uh, why don't you kind of just tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe when you got involved in politics?
3: I thought you just wanted to know a little bit about myself. I got involved in politics now 16 years ago, 18 years ago, something like that. I was a young Democrat when I was 16, so I'm 34 now. I've been doing it ever since. I do it professionally. I'm a political consultant. I run campaigns for a living in Macomb County and across the country. And uh, three years ago now, I decided to run for city council, and I beat an incumbent. So now I'm on the Sterling Heights City Council.
2: Ah, okay. So you, you ran three years ago, you beat an incumbent, and uh, and then you just, so that's a two-year term because you just were reelected, yep.
3: correct? Yep. Yep. I'm in year three now.
2: All right. Congratulations, then, on both those elections.
3: I appreciate the voters supporting me. <laughs>
2: Uh, well, they got, but you know, they want to get, they want to uh, get behind you. So that's um, you're you're obviously delivering a message um, that we support. Definitely. Um, that's a little interesting that you do political consulting for other campaigns. Um, tell us a little bit about that. What, what, what's involved there?
3: Oh, well, it depends. Literature design. Um, I was a paid spokesman for a long time. I do communications. I did advance work. I did advance work for. President Obama, Hillary Clinton, and Joe Biden at one point or another. I'm not sure if you're familiar with advanced work. Basically, you show up and you set up a a rally or a meeting or an event of some sort. And usually, when it's a presidential level, you you start setting up like a week before. So I was involved when, I don't know if you remember this, but President Obama came to Macomb County, God, had to be in 2009 now to have a rally and to basically... uh, Propose a policy of allowing all students to go to two years of community college for free paid for by the government. Okay. So I, we did, we did a rally at Macomb community college, South campus. I did that. Uh, when Hillary Clinton was running for president, um, I was one of her drivers. I corralled the press. So I was with the press pool for most of the day, which mostly is like, Hey guys, come and get photographs. Hey guys, time to leave and get in the car and go to the next place and take photographs. That kind of thing.
2: I'm curious. How did the, uh... Uh, how did you fall into that?
3: Well, I did. I fell into it. I uh, I was originally going to be a policy aide, and no one would hire me because I graduated into the midst of the Great Recession. So for a long time, they were saying uh, the best way to get elected, the uh, best way to get hired, is to get someone elected, then they have to put you on staff. So yes. I proceeded to uh, work in politics, and then uh, for whatever reason, I was good at it. So when people got elected, they were like, you make more money getting people elected than you would as a policy person. So I never ended up getting into policy. I just became very cynical and helped people elect all the time. Wow, that's awesome. So when I wanted to do uh, policy, I had to get myself elected, which is a whole different thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, do you uh, practice what you preach? Like, uh, you know, do you take your own advice in running your own campaigns that you give to others?
3: I think running your own campaigns is the most fun because there is no one in the way. You know, a lot of candidates don't take good advice. They like to do things their own way because it takes a certain kind of narcissistic person to run for office, any office. And to run for office, you have to think inherently that you're better at whatever's going on, I would think, than the person who's in office. So you already start from with the complex that I know more than the person there, etc. you know. And sometimes I feel like candidates can be very hard to steer because they think they know more than they do. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect writ large. You know, you don't understand your limitations, so you think that you're better than you are. Yeah, 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 for sure. Because running for office is unlike anything else you'll ever do in your entire life. It consumes all of your time, all of your money. It it really strains relationships. It's uncomfortable. I mean, I've had candidates who were somewhat um, inward-looking people, and you got to take them out to shake hands. And a lot of them become uncomfortable with that. You have to learn to ask people for a lot of money. You have to be willing to call people up on the phone and say can you give me a hundred dollars right now for my campaign if i asked you to do that in your phone would you be comfortable doing that to all your friends maybe people you went to college with or knew from high school a lot of folks freeze up it's an unnatural experience crammed into a very short time frame so you're always running from thing to thing
2: yeah no i know that uh um i'm i i would not get very far asking my friends for 100 bucks.
3: Well, <laughs> not, not maybe you maybe you owe them hundred dollars. <laughs> maybe they want the money back. <laughs> uh,
2: well, that's really interesting. That is that is really fascinating. Um, all right, uh, we got a few topics that we wanted to go over, but um, in uh, you know uh, t- tradition of items uh, up, we always start with a beer. Um, I know that uh, Fred and Nobbs and myself, we have uh, a beer picked out. And, um, due to separation policies, uh, we couldn't really get one over to you, Mike. Um, but you have your own, right? Mm-hmm. I hope so. I do. It's uh, part of, uh, part of the concept here of potums up. So, um, why don't you tell us what you're drinking and, uh, we'll tell, uh, then, then Fred and Nobs and I will talk about what we got.
3: I'm drinking my final Bell's hop slam. I bought a six pack about it had to be right before quarantine and, uh, uh, this is the last one of the six. The sole survivor.
2: Well,
3: they got drank pretty quick, so this one's the last one.
2: Uh, I believe we have reviewed that one in the past, haven't we, guys?
3: I don't
0: recall doing Hop Slam. It's, uh, it's
2: brought-
3: a Bell's Winter Special release. They release a new version every year. They sell it for like a month. It's hard to find. Oh, them. I'm I'm familiar
0: it. with it. I just don't recall doing it on the no show. Worries. That's all. <laughs>
2: Obviously, uh, is our are, uh, are our IPAs what you prefer?
3: Uh, I like IPAs and experimental beers, especially sours
2: if they're good. So you like them, hoppy and bitter and sour.
3: Uh, not as bitter. I, you know, in the summertime, I tend to drink a lot of wheat or saisons. You know, yep. that uh, I used to live in Germany, so I got a little bit of a, a affectation for wheat beer.
2: Yeah, that's uh, more or less what I drink in the in the summertime as, as well, and. With our beer reviews, we talk a lot about seasonality and situational beers. Um, Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we often think like, oh, you know, this would be a great beer, but maybe not right now. Whether it's a a dark roast beer in the winter months, you know, or uh, lighter, hoppier beers uh, in the summer
3: months. For some reason, I like Modelo, but I only like Modelo when I'm outside near water. We have to be inside of, like, water and on the beach, because that's when cervezas work. You know, it's like when I'm on a boat, I like I like Dirty Blonde by Atwater, because for some reason, that little orange coriander taste works well. This depends. You're completely right.
2: So, uh, who wants to introduce the beer that we have?
3: Okay, we're
0: doing the Brewery Vavant Hopfield. It's the Farmhouse IPA. Um, this is another one of from the variety pack that you guys had picked up recently uh looks like it's seven percent alcohol by volume and i'm not sure on the old bitterness factor
2: do they list the ibus i don't see it
1: Uh, i'm looking i don't see it anywhere
2: but with the name hopfield we expect it to be pretty hoppy right yeah buddy So So probably 60 60 points or better, I'm I'm assuming.
0: Yeah, and we've been uh, pretty happy with the Vivant Brewery uh, offering, so let's crack it open and give her a whirl. Did yours overflow knobs?
1: Uh, Yes, it did.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It must be yours.
1: That's a trend with my beers recently, they overflow when I open them up. Um, That's a classic-looking IPA.
2: it's got a great color any initial reactions on taste
1: i think fred's guzzling his
2: um he must like it (laughs) yeah
1: uh i like it a lot it's a very nice traditional ipa good flavor great color i've had this multiple times before i love this variety pack whenever i see one at Meyer, i'm pretty much guaranteed to pick one up so this is definitely a for me
2: yeah i'm probably gonna go for me as well um you know, one of my um, metrics for these IPAs, or especially the hoppy typers, you know, how, how much grapefruit is in it. And, and again, this one doesn't have a ton of grapefruit. Um, looking at the can, they talk about pineapple, tangerine, and pear. Um, and I can, I can detect a little bit of that tangerine. Um, and I th- that's really good.
0: You know, what's funny is, I, I didn't detect any grapefruit either. And I was thinking to myself, boy, this has got a really sweet finish on it. And I hadn't read that on the can yet. You just explained why the nectarine and the pineapple. It, it's, it's unusually sweet for an IPA because you don't generally get that kind of finish out of a, at least the IPAs we've drank. So this is different. Um, I'm not quite sure if it's for me yet. So I'll probably get half glass and I'll have a better idea.
2: I, I love it when the uh, when the breweries, you know, give you information about like pairings and proper glassware. And Vivant does that. Um, you know, they certainly recommend uh, in the pint glass. They also recommend pairing it with tangy goat cheese, uh, Gouda venison tacos.
0: <laughs>
2: I think those are... Oh, no, it's not common. Okay, venison tacos. Not not venison and tacos. Um, I don't know if I've ever had a venison taco. Sure, I would like it. I'd try it. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever offered me a venison taco. (laughs)
0: Um,
2: All right, but yeah, pretty good, I think. And you know, the more I drink it, the sweeter it's getting.
0: Yeah, it's. I definitely picked up on that immediately. It's like, that's weird. IPAs normally are, you know, pretty quick finish and yeah. definitely not sweet. But this is kind of like a lingering sweetness. Not sure if I care for it, that part of it so much. But like I said, I'll wait half glass and make my choice then.
2: All right. Um, so, uh, Mike. Um, One of the things that we've been doing on Pottoms Up is we've been um, bringing on local politicians and talking about um, not just um, the local issues, and there are some of those that are very important, but also about how um, the national political scene is affecting the local issues. I don't know how many people from Sterling Heights that we have that listen to our podcast. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we the uh, outreach is, is, uh, kind of global. Um, last week we had some listeners from Russia. Did we not knobs?
1: Uh, yeah, we had a few every now and again, we get uh Russia and Turkey. <laughs>
2: um,
1: we're, we're big uh, in Istanbul,
2: <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, so, so that's that, it's true, <laughs> uh, and and you know uh, Mike and I we spoke on the phone a little bit about that, and I, I think it's you know local politicians it, it, I would think try and stay out of the federal muck uh, as best they can, but it's difficult in today's political world, uh, right? Would 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 you say that's accurate, or you got a different take?
3: Well, I think it depends on the politician and what they're uh, up to. You know, I'm not as afraid to comment on uh, national politics. It just depends how you view your role and what you want to do.
2: One of the things that, first, uh, that I first noticed about you, and it was uh, through Facebook, um, was during your campaign, you um, had really kind of um, built yourself around, you know, progressive ideas and progressive policies and, um, too often on the local side of politics. Um, I, I don't really see that those sort of, um, you know, monikers or labels, if you will, being used very often because, you know, you're trying to, uh, attract as many people as you can from a much smaller, you know, uh, population. Um, so being all things to all people, I've even you know I've seen campaigns run where you don't know if the person, uh, you know how they characterize themselves as a progressive, even a, a Republican or a Democrat. You just might see a lawn sign saying "Vote for so and so," um, and you know what, what what I saw in some of your um, campaign was you know you you were you were putting yourself out there saying. You know I really support progressive ideas, and I, and I thought that was quite admirable.
3: Well, I, I think that uh, a lot of people like to play uh, it very safe, which I think makes them not stick out in uh, in a world where we're always fighting for attention. Not that you should just play political stunt games because that ends up there's a lady in Sterling Heights who likes to run against me quite often named uh, Jasmine Early, who will latch on to whatever idea comes her way if she thinks it can give her one more vote but I think that when you uh, define yourself early you prevent your opponents from defining you and I think it also kind of makes you stick this is where this is who I am this is where I stand and Mm -hmm. personally in my opinion I think I stick out a heck of a lot more than my colleagues who all do a good job in their own way and some of them have been elected for 20 years so they obviously know how to get elected too but in my opinion I don't play the game where I don't want to offend anyone. My goal is always to say what I think and challenge you to either support me or not.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, and, you know, I, for most of us, and, you know, I think the vast majority of people are going to say, those are the kind of politicians that we want, right? Right. And those that, that have convictions and aren't afraid to put them out there.
3: Well, you know, and...
2: Diversity. And I, for votes. and I
3: think it's been uh, carried out by the voters. You know, when I first got elected, I beat the incumbent. Then I ran again, and I got 3,000 more votes than I got the first time and almost became the mayor pro tem. I became, I came within 100 votes of being the mayor pro tem. Uh, I'm the youngest member of the council, and I think that uh, sometimes people say, you know, you, you spend a lot of time. I, I think people get me wrong. I spend a lot of time on constituent service. I spend a lot of time answering questions. And I, have, I spend a lot of time explaining myself to people. And I think when people know who you are and they feel like they, you share the same values they do, they don't care as much about the party uh, registration as they do what you're doing for them. So in Sterling Heights, I think I get a lot of crossover votes, especially because no one cares if your garbage man is a Republican or a Democrat. They want the trash picked up on time. They want the city services to deliver to them. And if they see you working to fix that or make it better or improve it, they're going to vote for you every
2: time. Um, yeah, no, I think when it comes down to it, that's where the votes go. Uh, I think some of the challenge is just in, um, you know, the social media world, right? Um, you, you know, and, and and again, you know, you're, you're pretty active there. Um, I'm just kind of thinking of uh, uh, another city councilman in another city, Uh you know, he more or less identifies himself as a Democrat, I would say. And he took a picture with the governor. And the hate mail that he received for being seen with Governor Whitner was, was was just astounding. It was like, seriously? Yeah. he felt like apologizing all the time. No. You know, to people that have supported him because they know who he is and they like him. But now all of a sudden, you know being seen with, a, with a, uh, a democratic figure of her stature. Uh,
3: I saw it, when Bill posted that picture. It was kind of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: maybe it was the loud minority, right? <laughs>
3: well, I mean, and, and Bill, uh, Bill just didn't – I mean, I told him, I'm never sorry for who I'm friends with. And if people want to come fight me on my wall, one, if you piss me off, I'll just delete you off my wall. I don't care. Two uh, – you know, come on. You can't take a picture with people. Though, you know, I would make fun of you if you took a picture with Rick Snyder who poisoned Flint. That's not my kind of person I want to be in a photo with. But, I mean, to each their own. I get people run against me who have had pictures of themselves with, with white supremacists like Richard uh, Spencer. Then when I called them out for it, they said, oh, I was debating him. I wasn't in a picture with him. Look, dude, my grandfather fought the Nazis. I don't take pictures with them. There's a personal philosophy that I've had for a
2: long time. I think it's a philosophy that most people should have.
3: But, I mean, these people, and that's the other thing, you have to differentiate between the rump minority and where the majority of people actually are. And as much as I love to have my voice echo across Twitter and Facebook, the majority of people are not there. The majority of people are putting food on the table for dinner. They're working their jobs. They're picking their kids up from daycare or latchkey. They're taking them to soccer practice. The majority of people are not on social media being annoying. If you try to calibrate yourself to the annoying people on social media, the folks are always on social media because they got nothing else to do. (laughs) You know, half of them are certified trolls, and the other half are just people who who think that their voice matters when it doesn't at all. And when you calibrate your voice to those people, you're missing out on the majority of other folks who are just too busy with actual life to complain on Facebook. That's an excellent
2: point. Excellent point. So, uh one of the one of the issues that you've been kind of leading the charge with here in, in Sterling Heights, and it, it really um, is kind of unfolding in very partisan and political ways across the nation, is mail-in voting. Um, and you recently commissioned or petitioned, I should say, the, the city council to do a study on mail-in voting just for Sterling Heights. Um, kind of tell us what's going on there. And, cool. um I
3: Well, if you look at just, just facts, I'm thinking about the best way to both protect lives during the COVID-19 epidemic and also what's cost-efficient for the city. Right now, the city operates 42 precincts, and they require a staff of people and voting booths and machines. If you look at voting in other states that have moved to a primarily mail ballot, doesn't mean that you only can vote by mail, but primarily vote by mail, like Colorado— costs have gone down 40% from the original. So number one, you save money. But more than that, you make it easier for people. My opinion, the only thing I petitioned in Sterling Heights was study mail in voting, but also, right now, if you vote absentee, which is your right to vote absentee, we require you to put 71 cents of postage on the ballot to return it to the city. If we want to really make voting seamless, the city should pay for that. We're encouraging you to vote from home. It's safer for you. It's safer for our employees during the COVID-19 epidemic, but more than that, it's just easier. I don't know how many people I know who are like, I didn't know who to vote for in the voting booth. I never saw that person's name. I just picked the name I liked. If you're at home, you have all the resources of your computer. You have time to think. You have an ability to really gather information if you so choose. And If you want to take a split-second decision on your ballot, that's your right too. This is America. You have a right to have your voice heard however you want it. But I think making it easier for people to vote should never be against the rules. Study after study shows that it does not benefit one party or another. It doesn't help Democrats. It doesn't help Republicans. It helps people like my 91-year-old neighbor, Kathy, who lives across the street from me, who has trouble getting down to the polling location. And no offense to people who are like, you can't afford a 71% stamp, but maybe she's out of stamps. Now she has to have her caregiver or she has to have her son drive her to the post office or someplace to get a stamp to put it on. That to me is not good public policy. That's just make work. And why are we making it difficult for people to vote? So I want to change that in Sterling Heights.
2: So is it possible, uh, Fred? I
0: was just going to say from, from a financial point of view, how does the uh, mail-in voting stack up versus having to have all those uh,
3: precinct open? Sure. So uh, we estimate that if, if we paid for postage on every single absentee ballot that's going to go out in the November election, every single one, it would be about $32,000. But you and I both know that we're not going to have every single ballot returned to us in the mail. Some folks don't vote their ballots for whatever reason. They just don't vote. Some folks like to drive their ballot to City Hall and put it in the drop box there. That's just to make sure it, get, it got there. That's your right too. But if if every single person used the postage paid return envelope option in Sterling Heights, it would cost us about $32,000 we estimate. Whereas elections regularly cost us in the hundreds of thousands of dollars to hire all those poll workers and all those uh, man all those polling stations, we got to rent them. We're not allowed to just take something from people. So if it's in a school or a church, we have to pay them for the pleasure of hosting our location. we gotta, we got to have voting booths. Those voting booths cost something like $100 per just to buy them, right? Uh, so over time, in the first election, you're not going to save any money because we're implementing a new option. It's probably going to cost us some. But I think as more and more people see the ease and efficiency of the mail-in process, we're going to need fewer poll workers at those polls. And maybe we could even redeploy our polls as they are right now. In my, in my future, which will be years and years ahead of me, I, I, we're not even there yet, I think we only would need in Sterling Heights, instead of 42 polling locations, maybe we'd need 10 or 12, you know, centralized locations. So if you want to register to vote on Election Day or if you want to vote in person on Election Day for whatever reason, you can. But I think a majority of our people would do it. Some cities are already there. I mean, if you look at um, uh, Rochester Hills and Brian Barnett, he's the mayor there. He's the mayor of the National League of Cities. Your city already votes two-thirds by mail as is right now. So let's just speed up the process. Let's make it easier on people. I think people who vote absentee vote because of the ease of use. I think they like it more. Why would you want to stand in the line on Election Day when you can vote from your kitchen and have a beer while you're doing it? Yeah, no
2: question. <laughs> I, uh, I I was just looking at, you know, there's, there's five states that do primary um, uh, voting by mail, and uh, then I was looking at turnout rates uh, by state and uh, f- three of the five are in the top six um, and you know it really does help voter participation one of the things whenever this comes up um, and there's this strong push from the right against voter uh, vote by mail for all kinds of crazy reasons. Uh, Um, that they have um, is, then I always like to ask, what do you think or what are your ideas to drive voter participation? Because here in the US, our voter participation for major elections is just a little over 50%. And if voting is so important, uh, and it is, what are we doing to drive voter participation? And vote by mail is certainly one of those things that the data has already kind of proven, you know, increases that turnout.
3: Well, I mean, when you make voting easier, voting becomes easier. It's kind of scary. You know, one follows the other. We had a, a, a ballot initiative uh, in 2018 on the ballot to make voting easier, to extend secret balloting, to create the no ad, no reason absentee system that we had now. And people are using it. You see the, the thirst of it. And the fact that they had to put it on the ballot shows you just how closed-minded a lot of politicians of both parties are. Some, some people, they get stuck in this rut where we've done things a certain way for all time, and it works. So why change it? And I'm always uh, a bit of the mindset that we need to believe in continuous improvement. Continuous improvement. And I think just making it easier to vote in all ways is continuous improvement. Think about this. In, in the city of Detroit, for example... They regularly have two-page ballots, double-sided each. So essentially, four ballots. You know, each voter gets two full ballots, and they are cons- constituted one ballot completely. And they have to vote both of those sides, front and back, front and back, to vote. And then you wonder why Detroit has long polling location lines. Well, when you got to vote twice as many races as any other place in the in the in the uh, state, no wonder it's difficult. That's why their machines jam. If we allow people to fill it out in their home, put it in an envelope and send it back, we're going to increase speed. We're going to increase the ability to get the vote counted because we can start counting those votes that get voted by mail at 8 a.m. on Election Day. So we'll start counting those votes right away because they're already turned in. You know what I mean? And it's just going to improve the system yeah. top to bottom. And most voters here have never had to vote about like that two pages front and back, front and back. But people in Detroit regularly do when they reinstituted the school board there, there were 63 candidates and you had to pick your top six or whatever. Top seven. Can you, can you even think about going through a list of 63 names on the back of a ballot to try to decide who you want to vote for?
2: Yeah. Right. It's insane. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously all of the fears and, 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 uh, You know, misinformation about voter fraud being easier by mail.
3: Well, there's There's, the only people in the state that I know who've committed voter fraud are Republicans. So I'm always shocked about this. There's there's a kid named uh, Hall. I believe his name is Brandon Hall. He's a reporter slash blogger. He got convicted of trying to fix a school board race. Literally, voter fraud. He forged signatures on petitions. And then we lost a congressman some years ago, Republican, because his staff had been forging forging McCotter, forging signatures for years. So the Republicans talk about voter fraud, but the only people I've ever met who've been convicted of voter fraud are Republicans. They love to chirp about it, though. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's an easy uh, boogeyman, you know. For people who don't understand the issues, you point out, look, these people. And the thing is, vote by mail is done the same way as when you show up to vote. You got to sign the back of your absentee ballot. They actually check that signature against your signature on file with the DMV or when you fill out your voting registration.
2: The the, the voter rolls and voter registration, that's the part that, you know, the Republicans just always ignore when it comes to their ideas of voter fraud. That there is a voter roll that you have registered for and you have to match. My sister lives in Washington State, you know. Her ballot actually got sent back to her because of an address problem that she had in her registration. She was able right. to, you know, correct it back in. But you just don't you you just can't grab a stack of ballots, fill them out how you want, and then send them into the state and think they're going to be counted. It just doesn't work that way.
3: And when they try to do it, efficient clerks like my friend August Gishlak and Han Tramick, they catch it. Someone turned in something like a hundred Absentee ballots all at once at City Hall, which obviously aroused suspicion in Amtramck. They looked, and people had been what's called ballot harvesting. They go around to people and say, give me your absentee ballot. I'll fill it out for you. This, of course, is a felony. Don't do this. (laughs) You can't fill out anyone else's ballot besides your own. But attentive clerks, they know how the system is supposed to work. When someone brings in 100 ballots, five minutes to close, that's suspicious. And, and they call the police and, and, and they catch
2: way, the perpetrator. And one way to reduce ballot harvesting is provide prepaid postage.
3: Exactly. You <laughs> don't don't trust other people with it. That's a great example because ballot harvesting was the reason they reran that um, that uh, House election in I think it was South Carolina, North, Carolina. North, Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah,
2: one of them. Yeah.
3: Yeah, the guy was harvesting ballots and filling them out for people, and he was Republican yet again. <laughs> You know, it it seems to
0: me, go ahead. I'm sorry. Nope. I was just going to say on the subject of the GOP and of course, dear leader crying about the mail-in voting, you know, being against them is I think it takes away a lot of their ability to, to tinker and Uh, Disenfranchise voters because they're just doing it through the mail system because you can't tell from the outside of an envelope if they're red or they're blue. Right. I think that's what their biggest bitch about it is, is that they they don't have any way to control it.
3: Well, 100%. I mean, first I want to pause for a public service announcement. Don't inject uh, bleach into your veins, okay? It's not a healthy thing. Don't do that. Let's just put it out there. It's not smart. Yeah, let's not Don't do get that. me started yeah let's <laughs> not do that but to, to your point, yeah, look I think about Wisconsin in just this last primary election. They took exactly. a, a city of Milwaukee that normally has over a hundred precincts and they shrank them down to six and there were people in line to vote there after midnight the next day. They went all through election day and then the, I think the last person voted at like 12:45 a.m. Because they're trying to make it difficult for people in areas that would might favor Democrats, big cities, you know, immigrant-friendly communities, from voting. Because they know that if they can control the process and make it as difficult as possible to vote, it favors their voters. And that's why they're afraid of mail-in voting because it doesn't favor anyone. It just helps more people vote. And if voters you think that somehow you, yeah. Greater turnout. If you think you have to tinker with the system to so only certain people vote, of course you're afraid if everyone can vote.
2: Yeah, I don't think uh, Republicans have uh, won the presidential election by the popular vote uh, since uh, Bush won, right? Maybe maybe the first time uh, Bush too ran. Oh, Bush
3: when Bush ran for re-election, he won the popular vote. But uh, when Bush, sorry, when H, H, when um George W. Bush ran for re-election. He won the popular vote, but when he when he won the first time, he did not win the popular vote.
2: Correct. Yeah, um, and that's the only one in the in in a, in a while
3: <laughs> since Reagan.
2: Yeah,
3: oh, sorry, sorry. Since Bush won, excuse me. No, yeah, Bush won. Since Bush won, when Bush won the first his first term, H.W. Bush, I think he won the popular vote, and then Bill Clinton, it was a three way split, so he actually didn't win with a majority. He won with a plurality.
2: And and demographically, we've probably even become even more center left.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I think that most Americans are not right or left. I think most Americans are like kitchen table. Like, how, how are you helping me? Are you helping my family? Is life easier or harder? And that's why I think that this election is going to be so important, because from what I can tell from the people in Sterling Heights, they just want the circus to stop. They want to be able to go on with their lives without feeling like the world is spinning out of control. I think that's reasonable. You think? <laughs> well, I, you know, the mayor of Sterling Heights, who's a die little Republican, he endorsed Joe Biden in this last uh, primary election. And I asked him, I said, Mike, Mike Taylor, our mayor, Mike, why are you doing that? And he says, Trump's just such a liar. It's embarrassing. I can't hold him up as a role model for my kids. And if that's the mayor of Sterling Heights, who's been a Republican his whole life, I got to think that there's hundreds of thousands of soccer moms out there are thinking the same thing this guy is an embarrassment he embarrasses me i'm afraid to have my my kids look up to him and i just wanted to stop
2: yeah it was pretty um um sort of pretty surprising uh about the mayor doing that and it grabbed quite a bit of national attention it was you know kind of somewhat so surprising right
3: got a hook republican backs democrat you know, uh, it's a, it's, it's, uh, you know, man bites dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: but he was very honest in, in, in his assessment. And, you know, Sterling Heights is a pivotal city in a pivotal county in the presidential election.
3: 100%.
0: How many people live in Sterling Heights, by the way, Mike? Uh,
3: about 134,000. It might be a little bit more. We're actually looking very forward to the, uh, census coming back. We're currently the fourth largest city in the state of Michigan, but we believe that we're actually the third largest already. And I think the census is going to prove that out, that we have uh, a lot of people who live here Now we're a bedroom community. For those of people who are not familiar with Sterling Heights, we're about what eight miles North of, uh, of Detroit. And, uh, you know, we're we just a, 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 a modern suburb. We were built around the, the automobile, though we're trying to make some changes to that, where we have, you know, beautiful homes on their own lot, and we're the safest city, large city in America. So I think people here represent the nation as a whole. They want to live in their houses and be left alone and have safe community to live in, and they just want this, this zaniness at the top to stop.
0: You're preaching to the choir here.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I... I <laughs> Anyone who watches this man for any amount of time, you know, I went to University of Michigan, did my graduate work at Columbia, went to the London School of Economics, graduated from there, too. Came home to take care of my father, who's a a Vietnam veteran who has uh, lung cancer, Agent Orange related, from his uh, three tours of duty in Vietnam. I came back to help out, right? And I've seen a lot of things. I I went to school with a lot of people who now have pretty prominent positions at the National Institute of Health and other places, and they all think that Trump's a Looney Tune. Like, they can't even help themselves because the man is not competent. It's not even a high bar. It's a low bar. I wouldn't hire Trump to run a shoeshine machine for me, much less the country.
2: <laughs> yeah, no question about it. Uh, it, it is pretty astounding. And, and and I hope, like, places like Sterling Heights and, and Macomb County really, you know, for those that voted for him can swallow whatever little pride they have about it, and say, you know what, we made a mistake.
3: I don't even think about it that way, because people in general, you know, as a political consultant, folks have a tendency not to admit to their own errors, even when they make very large ones, right? You're never going to find somebody, the mayor might be an exception because he sees a political upside, Uh, you never find someone who says, you know what, he's an idiot, I was wrong, you got me. Most folks aren't like that way, so they'll try to kind of slide that way he look for any kind of little hole they can slip through where it's like, well, I voted for him the first time because he said he's going to bring jobs back. But the jobs really haven't come back, so he, he crossed me. So now I'm justified in that my first idea was correct, but because he's not done what he said, I can move in a different direction. No one's ever going to say, you got me. Man, Trump, what an idiot. They're going to say he didn't do what he's told or I've changed my mind. They're going to justify it to themselves that they made the right decision in, 2016 and they're going to make the right decision again in 2020 even if those decisions are polar
2: opposite of each other
0: blotto that, that that sounds like to me that the the argument you've been making about the the whole trumpster ego thing you know what i'm talking about
2: yeah no i think it is very difficult for people to admit that they've made a mistake and and and, and i'm hoping that you know Mike's uh, assessment of the way that people will, um, I mean, I I don't rationalize it, right, you know, to say, okay, you know, he didn't deliver on what he said, um, because he does have a media machine out there through social media and uh, state news that, you know, they keep trying to drive this message that he has delivered, you know, the, the con has continued.
3: That's the problem with this, this virus. He can't gaslight COVID-19. He has no ability to change the narrative because the narrative is stuck. He was going to run for re-election on the idea that he only he could preside over this tremendous economy, you know, a big league economy that's just so massive and tremendous. And the virus has basically destroyed the economy because no one can work if they're afraid of getting sick or getting their family members sick. And so now he's struggle bussing his way around, trying to either alternate between passing the buck and being the savior. So zinc works and it doesn't. Hydroxychloroquine or whatever works and it doesn't because it kills people. You know, he's the savior. He's flooding the virus. At the same time, he's blaming the Democratic governors, he's blaming New Jersey, he's blaming Cuomo. He's trying to blame the scientists. He blames Obama for trying to anticipate a disease that he dismantled, dismantled a department. He's just looking for anything he can latch on to try to change the narrative into something that he wants. And he's not, at this point, finding it.
0: He's always the victim, never the responsible.
3: Well, right. I mean, uh, he has no responsibility at all. I like this idea because I you know I'm in local government and we've spent about $700,000 now fighting the virus, I like the two things that I've seen lately. Somehow he couldn't say to shut down the you know your state, but he could open it up again, which it doesn't make any sense. But two, the idea that we're supposed to be doing testing. How is the city supposed to deliver on a national health care system? It doesn't make any sense. We're not set up for that. We don't have a health department in Sterling Heights. How are we supposed to do testing, right? He's trying to transfer the buck down to us.
0: What I don't understand about him wanting to obviously push any responsibility downward is that if you don't have some kind of uh, cohesive plan from one county to the next county, city to city, state to state, or throughout the country, how can you be sure you're all measuring to the same thing? That's why, to me, it's like a no-brainer that the federal government should be heading things up so we're all looking at the same type of data so it's comparable, it's measurable.
2: Uh, 100%. It, I mean, Trump... CAC...
3: go ahead. No, no, I, I'm done. Oh, sorry. Trump, I started to step on you. Trump believes the Articles of Confederation are still in existence, that somehow he's not the supply clerk in chief. His job is to be national cheerleader or something. I don't know what his job is. But what I found the most fascinating was today and yesterday, Mitch McConnell said, well, the states and the cities could go bankrupt. Not, not the airlines that they bailed out, not the big business that they gave billions of dollars to, but the states. And what I love about this is what fascinates me the most is as a city, Sterling Heights' budget, about 80% of the budget goes into personnel costs. And the three biggest drivers of personnel costs in a city like Sterling Heights are police, fire, and DPW, which repairs our roads and parks and stuff like that, right? So when you're talking about budget cuts, you're talking about layoffs. In the middle of an epidemic, you want the city of Sterling Heights to lay off police and lay off firefighters because you're massacring our budget. Because the state's not going to give us the revenue sharing that we deserve this year because their collections are down. Federal government's imposing all these restrictions upon us. They're not paying us for it. And you're going to say, it's our fault we went bankrupt. How does that make any sense? And Sterling Heights, by the way, is in great shape. We're not in any chance of going bankrupt. But the idea holds that we're having to lay out tremendous costs that are going to go unreimbursed by anyone, and somehow that's our fault for an act of God.
0: Well, all I got to say is we got to have that uh, fighter pilot (laughs) <laughs> get some goats down
3: some votes down in Kentucky <laughs> we got to get McConnell out well I think we have a pretty good chance of flipping Senate this year you know you have uh, the astronaut from Arizona who is married to Gabby Giffords Mark Young Mark Young I believe uh you have uh, a toss-up race in Georgia because they're investigating the, su- the senator for uh for uh fraud basically she she might have done insider trading you have Susan Collins, who's probably going to get the boot in Maine. I mean, we have a lot of races that are winnable for us. We're probably going to lose uh, Alabama, Doug Jones. But there's a lot a lot of races nationwide that are, are able to be won by Democrats, if the lashback is as great as I expect it to be.
2: Yeah, there's been a couple of articles written uh, recently about Democrats' chance of taking over the Senate. And uh, th- things are looking pretty favorable.
3: Well, yeah, I mean... I think it's a long shot. Again, we're going to lose a seat in, in Alabama more than likely. And you're going to have to flip. on um, basically have to run the table. But I think it's a lot better of a chance than, say, the Republicans flipping the House of Representatives. I think the 2018 election, if they said anything, said that people were, were kind of irritated. It was probably the, the biggest wave election I've ever worked on. And it seemed that if you were a woman and you were a Democrat, that kind of you rode into power. I mean, look at the top three in Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, Mm -hmm. Jocelyn Benson, you know, Dana Nessel, all three won. They all dispatched people who had been in politics for years and years, you know, who are powerful in their own right. And they all were men. So, I mean, it doesn't really shock me. I think that uh, there's something to be said for the idea that not only women, but people are just trying to send a message both locally and to Washington about how they want government to view.
2: One of the things that happened today was Whitmer extended the stay-at-home orders through the May uh, through May fifteenth, but uh, also loosened up a few of the restrictions.
0: And we um, heard a a large whine go across the entire state. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All the leaf blowers turning on.
2: What What, what do you mean, by well, it's funny you mentioned leaf blowers, Mike, because that really seems to have been a, a real hot button in Michigan, but also particularly in Sterling Heights, this whole idea about lawn care, right? I mean, I, I never knew that people were this obsessed with the idea of going out and buying seeds and planting gardens or, you know, making sure that they had lawn service. And I don't even know that many people that do. Um but the minute the governor put some restrictions on it, uh, you, you know, you, you thought the world was going to catch on fire.
3: It's, it's very bourgeois concept, right? Like people care about their lawns. and The rebellion was right here in Macomb County because people are just silly. But, I mean, I guess you have to pull the, the weed whackers from their, their their cold, dead fingers here in Macomb County because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want I want the right to weed whack in when it's snowing outside, it snowed four times since you put this order in. I, I think it was four times, at least four times since it uh, yeah. this order went into effect. So unless you're cutting snow, I don't know what you're doing. But, you know, people – look, I learned a long time ago in politics that when people want to whine, they'll latch on to the, the easiest opportunity to complain. And also, people like to envision themselves as somehow more uh, – Busy and more likely to do work than they really do in real life. So it's like when she banned lawn cutting, suddenly it was like, "Yo, I, that's what I was gonna do, man. I want to work my lawn. I was gonna plant a garden. Not, I mean, I'm a, I'm a gardener. I have, I have six, I have four apple trees and a peach tree and raspberry bushes here at my house in Sterling Heights. I got a green thumb, and these people fascinate me because I wasn't looking to go buy seeds." I already got them, but more than that, you're going to plant them before it stops snowing? How's that work? I think people just, it's a convenient scapegoat for the fact that they're stuck at home, they're sick and tired of being stuck at home, and they want this to end. And by my calculation, this is my 45th day in the so-called quarantine. In uh, Wuhan, they were under quarantine for 72 days to get control of the virus. We extended it for another to May to 15, so that's another 27 days. We'll basically be at 65 days, give or take, when this thing is over. So we're just following the normal public health prognosis for this type of situation. But I think a lot of people did not expect nor want to be stuck at home. I know that in Wuhan, they said that divorces were up like 60% year over year after the quarantine was lifted. Nothing worse than getting stuck at home with your wife, I guess. <laughs> uh,
2: and in and, and, and Michigan, as it does so often, seems to have been one of these hotbeds to start the protest movement against the isolations.
3: Well, I mean, because we have the best paid, paid political operatives in the country here, we formulate them and send them out elsewhere. I mean, the, the people who led the Operation Gridlock, they all had ties to the Michigan Freedom Fund and Betsy DeVos. I mean, we export idiots for both parties by the droves. You know, we, we, we seem out. We seem to come up here in Michigan, then we export them nationally. And I think these protests are just a perfect example of that. They were astroturf. You had it was basically a Trump rally disguised as yes. uh, I want to plant my seeds and. Uh, I want to cut my grass rally. I didn't see anybody with signs like "Let me cut my grass." I saw a lot of people with Trump flags, Confederate flags. My personal favorite was the Confederate flag with the with the uh, AR fifteen on it, which said um, "Come take it on it." I keep on thinking that we did the Michigan Sharpshooters <laughs> did, you know, <laughs> in eighteen sixty five. We did. We came and took it, and now you have a flag. It's it's weird. I, I, the the loss of Knowledge and history in this country befuddles me. Like, you you know, you're going to go to a protest, carry the flag of traitors, and then make a political statement, which was, come take it. We did. We did. We beat Colonel Lee and all his guys, and they went home sad because we won. It's confusing to me.
2: Uh, It it really is. It really is. Um, But, yeah, you were right on. I I mean, DeVos and and her surrogates uh, have been really leading the way. And then you you, kind of look at then Trump just jumps right onto it and starts telling all these Democratic states to liberate.
3: Yeah, from him, I guess. Even
2: though (laughs) what, uh, hopefully, even though what Whitmer has done is really no different than most of the other governors across the country, Republican or or Democrat.
3: But she's a prominent woman. I think
2: she's. She's a prominent woman. She's a strong woman. She's a Democrat. She's that woman. uh, That woman. Yeah, yeah, that woman. (laughs) And he thinks he deserves respect.
3: Well, I mean, I'll be honest. What got me was, I understand why they did it, but all these governors bending over backward to kiss Trump's ass. Like, oh, you're the best pandemic leader in the world. Can I get some masks? You know, like, I don't mean to laugh because it really, they were doing it for the best of our state. But the fact that he made them crawl to him on the ground to get basic medical supplies, that it is his duty to distribute. It's despicable. Well, it's disgusting. I, I have no I have no words. And that's why so many Republicans are urging Trump to stop his briefings. His briefings are hurting him. I saw a poll the other day, a national poll, that said a majority of seniors think Trump has done a, a bad job on the pandemic. And seniors are his bread and butter. If Trump doesn't win seniors, he's not going to win anybody. And when half of the seniors in this country think you're doing a pretty shitty job because you want to open the economy and kill them in the process, it doesn't bode well for your future electoral prospects. You know, I Nolan Finley, I, he wrote a column about how he's very concerned about his 401K. And he's willing to sacrifice your grandmother and my grandmother and my father and my neighbor to get his 401k up and that to me is is the dumbest thing i've read in years and the fact that detroit news put their the masthead on it is disgusting i mean but who what would you expect from an outfit that led anti-union protests and had you know basically fired all their union employees when they struck right here in sterling heights too, 16 mile and mound
2: you're talking about the free press
3: well, Detroit News and Free Press operated a printing plant at 16 Mile and Mountain in Sterling Heights. In 1989-90, yeah. the, the workers there went on strike, and Correct. the Free Press News broke the strike and never hired the Correct. workers back.
2: Technically, aren't they still on strike? Yes. Yeah. So
3: are the air traffic controllers, though, and you saw how that worked out for them. <laughs> so w-
0: with what Whitmer did today... I don't see that as capitulation. I think what she did is she she threw a, a couple bones to them and tried to give up something. But I, I still think that she keeps the upper hand with extending the stay at home. And I, I'm guessing, it's just me, I'm not a doctor, but I'm guessing that she's going to extend probably to uh, the beginning of June. When it comes to it,
3: I don't know if she can, but I think it. I think the numbers matter. I think she, you're right. She did throw some bones to the people, the easiest targets, you know, because don't take away golf from people because that seems to be the end of the world. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think she's trying to navigate the best way through this morass, which is just the idea that people are sick of being stuck at home. And I get that. We also have a public health crisis. And the problem is a lot of the folks who are the dumbest, they don't see the public health crisis because they're not driving by hospitals every day. If you look at it, a majority of the cases in the state are in the five county metro area, right? But cases are on the quadruple rise, outstate, upstate, elsewhere, right? So what's likely to happen in the next several weeks is either the entire state goes down or the Detroit area goes down and cases get somewhat high elsewhere. The reason that a lot of these people are so loud is that though we have all these counties in Michigan, they're not equally populated. A lot of it's just green space. And the people in the green space don't seem to relate well to the economic engine of the the state, which is Detroit. Because I can't (laughs) see anyone going on vacation right now uh, going anywhere really until we've come up with some kind of solution for the problem and the idea I ain't going that people, anywhere I hear that I'm not going anywhere either so just the idea that they want the state to open up to do what it, it, it just fascinates me i I'm confused by the process and then the other thing is I saw a poll the other day sixty one percent of michiganders don't want to open up too fast so the people who marched on Lansing who Stood in front of the governor's mansion with AR-15s like idiots. Uh, I'm a gun owner, so I just think they're just the dumbest people in the world. You know, Boogaloo with their Hawaiian shirts on and all that stuff. But these people, (laughs) they're idiots. These people, they are a rump minority. Not even a minority. They're a rump minority. They are the minority of the minority. And they want everyone else to accede to their demands. Because for years, this rump minority has run the Republican Party. And they think that somehow they can run the state the same way, but when sixty-one percent of people, uh, yes, but when sixty-one percent of people want to stay home, open everything back up. The restaurants aren't going to be full. You know, people drive demand, not the other way around. Who's going to go to a movie theater right now? Who's going to go out to the bar? Maybe some people, but I would tell, I would argue that there's still a significant number of people who are going to stay home. So if we're going to re-engage the economy, we have to do it in steps that make people feel comfortable about going back out. So if you just throw the doors wide open, one, a lot of folks are going to stay home because they're intelligent. The other people who are not, they're going to get infected and drive us back into isolation again. So until we have more testing and serology tests and ways to ameliorate the danger, the actual danger, I think that we got to kind of be very careful in what we open up and how we open up and then kind of wait a few weeks and watch. I think it's what she's doing with this order. She basically said, You can do these X things, lawn care and stuff. But we're going to be watching. And if cases spike, I guarantee you she's going to say, Look, there it is, and shut everything back down again.
2: Hey, but did, did she say we could golf?
3: Yes. Long, you can't use a golf cart, though. you got to walk it.
0: Yeah, oh. fat ass. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh,. I, you know, well, actually, I was thinking, wouldn't it be better if everybody had their own golf cart? That would improve social distancing on the golf course.
0: No, you, you'll be you'll be riding up the backside of the golf cart in front of you, trying to push them.
2: <laughs> well, a lot of guys golf
3: slow, so I can understand <laughs> that, uh, that, that 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 feeling. <laughs> uh,
2: it may be something I have to talk to Hefty about. I don't know.
3: Well, my dad's looking forward to going up to our – we have a cabin up north. He's missing uh, turkey season right now, and he he really wants to go hunting. So he's hopeful that he'll be able to go soon.
2: Hey, hey Mike. Uh, well, we have turkeys right here in Sterling Heights.
3: Right, but we can't fire guns in Sterling Heights. <laughs> a big no-no. <laughs> we,
2: we had one walk across our front lawn just uh, two or three nights ago.
3: I live up next to a golf course. I see all kinds of stuff, man. I see foxes. I see turkeys. I see any number of interesting critters out there. Deer, a lot of deer. I almost struck a deer on uh, on 14 Mile right before the quarantine started. I was coming home, and it was standing in the middle of 14 Mile. I'm glad I didn't plow through it. That would have been a bad night for me. It was, a, it was a, a big old buck, too. had a nice rack on it, the whole thing. And I was like, man... This is crazy.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I live with my fiance, and she's been here 20 years, and she's never seen a turkey on her lawn. And we live near Plum Brook as well. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it, it came over from there. But it was heading south into the subdivision. It's like, I don't know where that turkey thinks it's going, but it walked right well, through the they're aggressive,
3: too. A turkey's not afraid to, 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 to peck at you or, or to waggle its wings at you. they yeah. not not shy.
2: Yeah, no, I know that. So we, uh, you know, a a bunch of the neighbors, uh, uh, we, we came out of our quarantine to, to see the Turkey. It was sort of an event here in the, uh, in the neighborhood. (laughs) Um, all right. Uh, I think, uh, I think we're pretty good here. Um, uh, Mike, we, we certainly, uh, really enjoyed having you on as a guest. Um, and, uh, uh, you, you're definitely fighting the good fight, and uh, we uh, we give you a up to that. Um, right, guys?
1: Yeah, thank yeah sure. absolutely. Thank you so much. I thought it was, uh, thought it was very thought, entertaining. Hopefully we can get
3: together when this uh, whole thing is lifted and have an actual beer instead of one in front of my Yes, speakers.
1: that'd be awesome.
0: Yeah. Definitely good to hear from a like-minded politician that kind of sees the world correctly like we do. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, I don't even think it's bad. I again I, I I'm just a reasonable person. If you present a plan to me that that saves money or does something easier, I'll pick it up. You know, but you gotta have foresight. A lot of folks have this problem, politicians all across the board, where the last voice they hear is the most important voice they hear. If one person comes and complains, I gotta change the entire plan because one person complains in sterling heights we had a fight about a nature trail we're putting in it was part of our recreation plan it goes behind some folks houses they'd appropriated our land for their lots expanding their property to city land and they were unhappy we were taking it back essentially about 20 of them came up to city hall and complained very vociferously about how we're stealing our own land back go figure on that one but uh of my colleagues started to cave they started to say oh, well, maybe we should change the route, or maybe we should change the path. And I said to them, 20,000 people vote in favor of this proposal. We have 20 people who are angry right here. Our duty is to the whole community, not just the squeaky wheel, not just the one person who's mad because they now can't steal a bunch of our land for their hot tub or their, you know, their nature preserve in their backyard. And I think that a lot of politicians forget that they're supposed to do it for everyone not just the loudest people.
0: Yep, for
2: sure. That certainly seems to be the message from the federal government.
3: Right. Right. Well, it was a pleasure, gentlemen. Hey,
0: thanks a lot. Really appreciate your time and glad we finally got to hook up with you.
3: Well, I'm glad. It's something to do on a Friday night in quarantine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, pottoms up, Mike. Nice uh, talking with you.
3: No problem. I'm going to go... Use uh, my blower on my lawn, right?
2: <laughs> you know, you're gonna grab those seeds and spread them around and taunt your neighbors. Right? Right.
3: Blow them around, blow the
0: seeds around with your leaf blower. <laughs> That's right. You know, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Have a good night. Stay healthy. And pot 'em's up. Pottoms Cheers. Up. Out. Out. Politics, some culture and craft beer. Politics. And that is why you're here, politics. I don't